what is the grossest, nastiest, most disgusting horror that you've seen and can talk about? Okay. So obviously we're not going to discuss the Serbian film. That is just a little too disturbing. Uh, that would have to be the most disgusting, I guess, piece of work that I've ever seen. But uh, I think, um, see, to me, horror can transcend, you know, just, you know, it's not just slashers and body horror. I mean, for the longest time, body horror was just about, you know, puberty or finding out you're gay or trying to come to grip with the AIDS pandemic during the 80s. But I think I think the the most disgusting horror film I've ever seen was Pier Paolo Pasolini's Salo or the 120 Days of Sodom. Yeah. And the director ended up getting murdered over it. It was done it was based on a story by Marquis de Sade and uh, that just like I'm rubbing my eyebrows is just, you know, thinking about it. It's, it's just so fucked up. Uh, honestly, it's, it's about, you know, world war two fascists round up some kids and subject them to 120 days of, you know, physical, mental and sexual torture. Right. The director was a, a gay man who was murdered immediately after this came out. Music was done by Ennio Morricone, you know, the famous composer that has done Quentin Tarantino films. Um, shit, I mean, like, he's everywhere. Mm -hmm. this, this film stuck with me for many years. I remember it was probably the birth of like uh cable internet you know when you could download a movie in like a, a few hours and uh i went through the wikipedia list of you know cult films and I, and I downloaded everything that was listed and this was the only film that i've never been able to finish right and i mean i've i've watched john waters films that have similar content I mean, Pink Flamingos is, is, I guess you can be considered a horror film. You know, this is you know, white trash suburbia that, and, and even in that, you know, being white trash is, is, is horror. Right. It's. Well, we should it, watch it one day. We should watch it together and just get through it. Just, just dude, get through it. And just. It, or at least to see how far we can go. And we'll just like BS our way through. And hopefully that'll make it easier. And just just see. Because I remember I saw this, but I gotta be honest. I don't know if I was traumatized or what because I barely remember any of it. But I have, mm -hmm. I, I do have this weird thing. I have to I just have to say it real quick. Where my mind edits out adults anything out of movies so once the movie's over it's just deleted and every time i rewatch that movie i'm surprised every single time as if i have never ever seen that movie before in my life oh every man time. i wish i could do that so i'm i i suspect 
that's the reason why I can barely remember that movie, even though I know I've seen it. I know I have. Yeah, it, it's, I guess you would call it a, an art horror film because it's like an art house film that just wouldn't be played anywhere. Right. And it's, it's pretty fucking deep. I mean, the director was, was assassinated by a fascist right wing. I think he was a lawyer. I'm not 100% on that, but. It's like crazy. Doesn't matter who did it. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, like the the seven layers of hell, Dante's Inferno. Right. This movie is that. Right. You know, you got the the shit, the circle of shit, the circle of blood, the circle of manias. It's. it's I honestly don't know why it's I don't even think it's been released as like a criterion collection and they do everything that is kind of artsy, you know? I don't think so either because I know I have the movie somewhere and I have a dig for it. I'm pretty sure I got it off of eBay but even the the cover, I have to find it. The cover doesn't really have anything on it. It's like the bare minimum is, you know, kind of scary. Mm-hmm. It, it's, the it, original. The I remember the, like a knockoff. Yeah, you might have gotten a knockoff because the original cover was the kids bent over on the stairs bowing to these. No, yeah. I have. But, you know, when when you get uh, movies that come from a big distributor, you know, the covers look a certain way. But yeah. it's very indie, that's for sure. It's, it's something else, I'll tell you what. I, I, I got to, I think it was just after the Circle of Blood, and I was like, I can't fucking do this. You know, I've seen Divine eat shit, you know, like real dog shit. Allegedly, it was real dog shit at the end of Pink Flamingos. But uh, that movie was just, it felt too real. It was like somebody went and was trying to make like a snuff film or something. Right. And it sits with you. I mean, that's a movie that when you watch it, you're going to be thinking about it for like the next few days to a week, maybe a month. I still think about it when I think about fucking, you know, like art uh, films that, like, how the fuck did this get made? Right. Like, you go back to like, even the 90s and some of the films that were made then, you're like, how the fuck did this get made? Like my own private Idaho with Gus Van Zandt, like that would never get made today. I mean, Brokeback Mountain caused so much hysteria that a film like My Own Private Idaho just, I don't think it would be as legendary or in the cult status if it weren't for the two actors that were in it Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix. Even Flea was in that film. I mean, movies just like anything else they go through or maybe it's the people where we go through these 
times of like being really conservative about everything and then being really liberal about everything and it just kind of it just kind of circ- circulated it's like it seems to me like like every generation you got to figure or we'll just go back and forth between being really conservative and being really liberal and movies follow the same pattern just like anything else and those movies still get made just how they're distributed will be different. It could be, you know, like take it way back when people would like just just print out a certain amount of, of uh, movies and just pass them around. Oh yeah, when I was a projectionist, there was a little part where it was like, oh, you haven't seen this movie, and it would be like uh, a director, like a famous director. Um, Wes Craven did pornography before he did horror. And it was real common for this movie to get passed around amongst projectionists to see, you know, where this guy had come from. And where I lived was where he was a disc jockey late at night. You know, it was, he was a teacher there. So his work was, you know, even John Carpenter, he's from my area. Right. Um, you know, masters of horror. Mm-hmm. They usually had to do, yeah, they used to have to do something else to kind of break in. And when Wes Craven was trying to get his movies made, they were like, well, you did pornography, you know, we're not going to give you uh, a big budget. So, you you know, he ended up making, you know, left, less, last house on the left, which, which was like the birth of torture porn that, and uh, I spit on your grave. I mean, those movies are, are also, you know, like horror that is, is hard to watch. But at the same time, you know, like when the ending comes and you see the, the revenge sequence, you know, you're so happy to see, you know, people get their just desserts. Oh, yeah. Salo sure. isn't, isn't like that. It's just it's torture. Salo. Right. And it's I don't think I've I've seen a horror movie except for maybe like uh, those the hatchet series or something where the bad guy will like always win. You know, it's just it's, right. it's pretty bizarre to see a movie where the bad guy wins. Oh, yeah. There's an entire horror series where the bad guy wins every single episode. Fear itself. You ever seen that series? Every no, single I don't. And they're, by the way, the episodes are really good. They're really, really good. But if you're looking for a happy ending, that's it. Ain't your... I keep watching it because it, they're so good, but the ends are rough. Yeah, I don't even think I've heard of that. What is it called again? Fear itself. Fear itself. Yeah. And it's got. Um, let me see. I have the collector's edition. It's got thirteen episodes, and um, they've got uh, so the guy who directed Reanimators did did one and. Um, oh, so it's like an anthology? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
And they've got some really... The episodes are so good, but every single ending is just terrible. You just feel so bad when it's over. But I keep watching because it's so well done. Like, any one of these could be a whole movie. Really? Mm-hmm. I can't even find it. I'm looking for it right now. And there's um, a- television series broken down into 13 separate. Yeah. All right. Okay, I think I found it. Rookie cop is assigned to watch over a serial killer known as the Eater. Yeah, that's it. All right. Yeah, I found it. No shit. So it's kind of like that Masters of Horror series, but where the bad guys are winning. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this like some sort of like I don't know, it's a satisfaction. Um. You know, like, in, and I spit on your grave, you know, this horrible, horrible shit happens to this poor woman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just completely forget about her because this is business as usual. Right. And she hunts them down one by one. I mean, that plot has been used over and over. But I mean, even the remakes that they did where they just did three new ones. I mean, the original stands out because at the time, you know, it was the, I think it was the mid or late seventies. This shit was unheard of. Right. You know, it's just, go ahead. It's just, it's hard to fathom, um, you know, knowing like movies like the Maltese Falcon exist in the same cinema, you know, it's cinema. Right. This was a movie that played in theaters. You know, it wasn't just played in art houses like Salo. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that, you know, a lot of people have seen. Right. It's not, you know, like a, in the 80s where everything kind of just went to tape or, you know, like there was like several versions out there where one was made for TV that they could play. And there was a, you know, a VHS version that had a quote you know, director's cut. Right. It's just, those movies sit with you. I, I think that is, a, a, like, it's essential for a, a film that you would consider, you know, like too much or too much to handle, something that will sit with you for a while. You know, I've seen documentaries that weren't even in the horror genre that sat with me for a while because it was fucking scary, man. Oh. Watching those things about farming and how meat is fucking manufactured. Like, that shit's scary. Yeah. That's a snuff film in itself. Right. Yeah, I watched the uh, documentary of, uh, you know, that movie Alive. Oh, God, that movie freaked me out as a kid. I know it did. God damn, that movie freaked me out. I remember my mom rented it. And she was like, oh, it's about soccer players that are stuck on a mountain. And I was like, oh, I play soccer. By the end of it, I was like, I don't want to fucking play soccer anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't want to do anything. Like that, the part where they're carving up the butt with the glass. The second you said, uh, you know, like, that's what I picture in my head, you know. It's like, well, the comments about the meat texture and shit, it's just 
fucking out there, dude. I don't know how this shit, like that's another movie. How did this get made? Yeah. It's a tragic true story, but how the fuck did this get made? Right. Well, it seems impossible now because there's a subsect of people in our, our society. Everything offends them. Everything. And they oh, yeah. absolutely everything you do. You can't go outside. You can't do anything. Somebody, there's going to be a Karen out there making sure you stick to oh. the rules. And by the way, her rules, the, the rules that exist inside her mind that is right and wrong, black and white. You, you better you, you do what she says. So it just seems impossible that anybody ever had the freedom to make something like that and then release it and it was fine. Where it just seems like now nothing's fine. But yeah, Do you remember about a lie that was somehow worse than the movie? <laughs> but I guess it's because it was real and they had the real people in it and talking about it, and it was just terrible. Do you remember when they tried to pass the Pornography Tax Act? Uh, about it was about music. It was like certain music was deemed pornographic and Prince was, you know, one of these people that was constantly being ragged on. Right. And yeah. the only people that showed up to defend the music were like Dee Snyder, Frank Zappa. Man, um, Dee Snyder told him something. He came ready. They were not expecting that because he came in no. the old vest. He was ready. And, and then calling him on songs that had absolutely not, it was not x rated in any way, shape, or form. No. Well, clearly did not listen to his music. That was embarrassing. And Frank Zappa kind of blew the whistle. He's like, You got all these senators' wives going out about this. And this is to cover up the fact where they were trying to pass this thing called the Blank Tape Act. Right. And it was just a smokescreen. And I think a lot of these, you know, quote, Karen things, it's, it's a smokescreen. Right. Well, Karens are real, but I can see how in politics they use everything to their advantage. And that sucks when we have real problems because they're so busy playing a game. And we're out here trying to live. And they're always well-to-do, you know. They haven't had any problems in their lives. They haven't had struggle. So, you know, what was it? It's just, you see kids selling lemonade and this is a problem. It's it's just further divides us as a, as a species, you know. I mean, we already have enough problems. You know, we have nuclear armaments and... I mean, when's the last time anybody talked about Fukushima? You want to talk about fucking horror stories? The documentary about those poor bastards that decided to stay and contain this. That's a fucking horror story. Because nobody knows their names. But that's what horror is for, is to escape. Like, we all know how terrible it is. It's always terrible. It's always something all the time. And we're all always living in it. And so... Horror fans, like diehard horror fans, escape into horror because at least it's not real. And the the good thing about horror is that if you read between the lines, like, yeah, sometimes you can see that it has, like, a deeper message to it. Like, um, 
Nightmare on Elm Street 2. That was about a guy struggling with his sexuality. You know, he's in me. And and it was doing during the, you know, the, the AIDS pandemic where in Hollywood, you would have to get a blood test before you would even get a screening. There was no kissing going on in films. You had to have a blood test. And this shit is fucking scary because it's, you know, it's something that it, it can, it can take anybody at any time, like cancer. It's not racist. It's not, you know, a homophobic thing. They called it the gay cancer. And like, how fucked up is that? I know. But also, you don't even need to do something like that on purpose. You know, make a a, um, a movie that has a message. You don't even have to do it on purpose. If you are simply a person that is like, really burying some real stuff it comes out in your work like you oh, yeah. it it just can't help but express itself i mean that's what life is it's what art is is an expression of life you can't even you might hide it from your family and friends but it's gonna come out in your art it's just it is you can't help it that's what's meant to happen and that's why when, that's why we have art therapy, and that's why it works. Yeah, when you say that, I think of Joel Schumacher mm-hmm. and how he kept putting nipples on the Batman suits. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's a gay man who you know wasn't out gay in Hollywood at the time, and he would put nipples on the Batman suits, and the actors are always like, "Is this necessary?" Yeah, it's just it's some of the the funniest shit. It's funny when people say something necessary. It's like, well, none of it's necessary. None of it is. It's expression. It's art. Whatever makes it better or funnier or scary or whatever. If it works and we enjoy it, it was necessary. But yeah, it's... it. I think horror... Hmm? I think horror is important. Because you're putting a, a face, you know, like Freddie's disfigured face or Michael Myers's creepy blank stare face or, you know, a hockey mask. You're putting a face to something that scares you. Right. And I think doing that takes the power from whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think that's important, too. I do, too. And I mean, those. And I mean, it's about fear and putting a face to fear, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is, actually. It just represents fear and it's all consuming, devastating force. And there's nothing you can do. It just keeps coming. That, that by itself is terrifying. It doesn't matter if it's Freddie or Jason or Michael, it doesn't matter. It's just the relentlessness of it that makes it so terrifying. It doesn't matter what they do. It's the fact that you know he ain't dead. He could be reduced to bones. He's coming back. Yeah. Oil and I like him light him on fire. Coming back. I mean, if you get down to the root of Friday the 13th, that's about fear of being in a place that isn't your home. You're expecting these almost adults to take the the place of the parent. And when they can't protect themselves, you know, how are they going to protect you? You know, the few movies where they actually had, you know, 
campers in the film, the kids that they were trying to protect, you know, that that's a big fear. You know, I mean, a lot of us were exposed to horror as kids. And that was a fear that we had. We didn't want to have to go to summer camp or space camp or whatever people went to. I don't know. And you, and you, um, you notice all the help most of the adults were trying to give. It was never help. Drugging the kids, just getting in the way of any kind of progress, any kind of actual help. Parents knowing the whole knowing about the whole thing to begin with, but just not... And then sending them. Hmm? Like, the, the parents would have to have done some research about it, and they send them to this camp where this terrible shit happened anyway. Right. And it, it's... I think that's a... That's pretty... I guess you'd call it punk rock. You just don't give a fuck. Well, and I... I mean, maybe there's a lot of people have a lot of magical thinking especially parents they just want things to work out they want their life to look the way they imagine it's supposed to they want to send their kids to camp and they want it to be fine even contrary to all evidence and reality they still want that and then the whole weird trope of Virgin to say, but the minute you have sex, you're dead. Yeah, or smoke a joint, you're dead. Yeah, yeah. you got to keep those good Christian values. And I'm like, do we not know how kids operate, especially teenagers? Tell oh, them yeah. they can't do something, even if you tell them it's gonna kill them. They're doing it. Yeah. Uh, how do you forget what it was like to be a teenager? Very strange. Oh, I've never grown up, so. Well, I was not that kind of teenager anyway, but also, I'm very strong-willed, and if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And especially mm-hmm. if the person me not to do it, I mean, you better be very morally upright if you're telling me not to do something, because I'm probably not going to listen to you anyway, because why are you telling me not to do it, and you turn around, you know that, do as I... I say and not as I do stuff. That yeah. Not, yeah, parents sure kept trying to do it. It's very strange. And you remember when you were a kid, the one thing that they would say is kids are to be seen and not heard. And oh. now all these autistic parents are like, oh, I just wish my kid would talk. Right. But parents 20, 30 years ago, if their kid didn't talk, man, oh, shit, they would have been happy. And then it happens. And then they realize, oh, my grandson is or, you know, my nephew is. And how wrong were they? It's because the greatest fear, I think, is becoming your, your, your parents. And everybody eventually does at some point. You know, from the exact opposite of your parents, which happens a lot too, because I am literally the exact opposite of my mother. Couldn't be more different. That's probably good. I, yeah, I think if you just coast along, you're gonna turn into your parents. But if you, you know, you're very proactive in who you want to be, then you know. 
you to be different. Let me see. I think the craziest movie I remember seeing, the first one. I'm curious because you watched a lot of fucking Saw films. I I love them. The work Dude. is amazing. <laughs> but actually, the most surprising and most, frankly, disgusting one I've, I remember seeing is one of the first ones, which was Poultrygeist. Poultrygeist? Yes. I really? That it was three o'clock in the morning. You know, your exhaustion does not help. And it came on. The trauma film? The trauma, yeah. Dude, that was filmed in Buffalo. <laughs> well, good for them. I'm still saying I saw it in the middle of the night as that grossed me all the way out. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a weird one. They do a lot of weird shit. And then it turned out to also be a musical, which made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> I I think anthropomorphic burger. What the hell? That thing that that thing had teeth. It 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 was talking. It was sitting on a plate, and then the guy. That was everything that was the most disgusting, brutal thing you could up. They jammed it into that movie. Have you seen any of their other work? Oh yeah. Have you seen? Have you seen Troma's War? No, but I have it. Yeah, you should check that out. Yeah, that's got a deeper meaning to it. See, Lloyd Kaufman isn't stupid. You know, Poultrygeist is basically about, if you look a little bit deeper, it's about, you know, how we treat animals to, for essential, quote, food or whatever. And in Troma's War, he did a similar thing. Um, The... The enemy is called Senor Sida. And Sida is the Spanish acronym. Like we have um, AIDS. It's the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a lot of this stuff where like, oh, this movie's gross. And oh, it, it sat with me forever. It's because it's possible. And it's, it's right. You know, it's rooted in reality. You know, it's something that we either participate in ourselves. We have seen, we have heard. Um, I mean, I love burgers. I, I mean, if a talking burger were to, you know, torment me, I'd be a little freaked out. I'd probably stop eating meat. Right. But that's the reason why I, my big leave favorite subgenre of horror is psychological because that shit can happen oh yeah a lot of really good serial killer movies like you know Hannibal Lecter and all that oh god that can happen it has happened oh yeah and it continues to happen can't be an escape if I'm watching some shit that either has or can happen I remember watching a Japanese horror film that was uh, about um the Japanese serial killer that uh, he ended up killing a bunch of women and he ate them. And his day job was that um, he worked in a a pet store. 
just a normal, you know, kind of job. And in Japan, they don't have the death penalty. They consider the death penalty to be kind of archaic. They send you to jail. And I think the max you can go to jail for murdering somebody is like 12 years. Yeah. And they ended up making a movie about it. The thing is, is that that serial killer that this movie was based on became a fucking porn star in Japan. Mm. Well, that's strange. Yeah. Well, at least you can keep your eye on them, I guess. You're going to be important. Right. You're going to be on TV and on computers. So didn't just drift off into obscurity and keep killing, I guess. We live in some fucking strange, strange time now. I mean, can you imagine how many movies are going to come out about a killer virus or how many movies that we thought were, you know, kind of like a joke growing up, you know, like old horror movies like, oh, Earth is getting too hot and it's going to kill everybody if we don't do what was that one, the core, like that fucking movie was so stupid. And now we've got fucking shit like global warming and polar ice caps are melting that's frightening so you know i mean if it can happen and it does happen it's pretty scary that's why i like my horror dumb as hell (laughs) impossible that's why i like it like that because the chances of it actually happening are like nil the worst i can expect are really terrible dreams which is like it happening but it's not actual happening, so it's yeah. not. A lot of the a lot of the movies that I watch are, are like cult classics or films that bombed at the box office. But once they got to tape, man, like can you believe that the thing of all movies was a colossal flop? And most of John Carpenter's films flops. But so many of them are. But think about it, people. Fl- just like when I go on Amazon and I look at reviews of movies, and some of my favorite movies have all the bad reviews, one star. I read the reviews, not one of them is actually about the movie. It's about their expectation of what they thought. Oh, the yeah. Movie. And then when the movie wasn't that, oh, well, then it sucked. That's what happens to those movies that we love now, but back then they were like universally panned. That's what happens. They had an expectation of one thing, got an entirely different thing, and so bad reviews. And now we love. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of the time that there's an expectation. Like, um, let's go through, you know, an example, John Carpenter's history. Um, I personally think his best work was with Kurt Russell. But a lot of people like that, they don't want it. They think that, you know, uh, Big Trouble in Little China is, you know, too goofy. He strayed too much from his roots, his roots as a horror director. And uh, Halloween, you know, there's like Halloween purists that don't like uh, the third one, Season of the Witch. But it's got fucking Tom Atkins in it, man. If Tom Atkins is in a horror film, I'm going to watch it. And just because he's a good actor, he brings something to the movie. You get a lot of these old horror movies where the acting is shit. Like I watched um, 
Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. It goes The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and then In the Mouth of Madness. Right. All those movies are great. Um, I mean, Alice Cooper was in Prince of Darkness and killed a guy with the trick that he had been using on stage for many years. Cause I guess you consider him a horror actor. He's always done horror stuff on stage. I mean, his stage is still acting. I mean, his Alice Cooper persona is, is an act, right? You know, to see that captured in a film, it was pretty damn cool. Oh yeah. I mean, the acting was, was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Mouth of Madness stepped it up. You know, you had the great Sam Nell, and he's just, I mean, he, fresh off of Jurassic Park, he does this movie. Or fresh off of this, he does Jurassic Park, which is considered a classic. I mean, but for me, The Thing is his best movie. That and They Live. Like, those two movies are the best ones that he's done. And they're not, I don't know, like, I guess it's all based on taste. I mean, I like a lot of wacky shit. So do I. I have uh, like a huge range and I prefer it like that because to me, like you're talking about the curious. One of the best things about horror is you can literally make anything. And to me, that's exciting. I don't want to box somebody into one thing, even if I love it. So if somebody says, John Carpenter, anybody else who I love is is taking a leap and doing something completely different, I'm excited. I want to see. What's he going to do now? It's like magic. It's amazing. Like, why would you box somebody in when they, their art is horror? They could give us anything. Why do you want us to keep seeing the same old Slow walking, silent dude walking around with a machete 15 movies in. <laughs> Aren't you ready to see something else? I am. You know, speaking of seeing something else, your post earlier was Child's Play. Have you seen the, the new one, the remake? Oh, yeah. See, now that was a movie where I felt bad for Chucky and not the people in it. Right. Because he was just doing what he was supposed to. I want to be your friend. These people don't like you. Uh, I'm going to hurt them. It's like having a guard dog that bites somebody. And just having Mark Hamill do the voice. At first, I was like, this is fucking bullshit. You know, why isn't Brad Dourif involved in this? But once Mark Hamill got in there, he gave Chucky a humanity that he never had before. Which is great. And it's a great way to spin Chucky. It would be... It would be pretty ridiculous for somebody to do a reboot and not re- reboot anything. It's just the same exactly. Stuff and the purists are going to hate it, but purists always do. That's like their function in life, to hate anything new. So it's fine. I, uh, man, when I saw that movie, I was like, okay, the mom is kind of absent from the kid's life. She's a shitty mom, you know, she's a she's a bit of a whore. You know, this kid has to deal with his mom bringing home a different guy every night. And more power to her for being able to do it. But, I mean, like, the kid's lonely. He ends up hanging out with kids who I think it was pretty heavily implied that 
the kids are being molested. I mean, these are people that, you know, you meet in life. Right. And the, the doll just wanted to be his friend. And he's like, these people are, you know, are damaged goods. Right. And dude, I felt so bad for Chucky. And that's weird. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It means they did their job. Because I'll tell you, that third Chucky, there was no, I didn't feel anything, which was a shame. Because I liked the first two. I mean, there was no chemistry anywhere. Yeah, it, it was a new Andy too, wasn't it? Huh? It was a new Andy actor as well, wasn't it? That 16-year-old, yeah. Didn't feel anything for him. Tyler no. Cute little kid, but there was no connection with the characters. It felt very like, well, we have to make this movie, so let's just make it and get it over with and get out of here. Cookie cutter bullshit. Yeah, and it was really unfortunate because I like Chucky. I like the concept of it, but I mean, sell me a story. And that just didn't do anything. I mean, for all the death and murder and mayhem, it just didn't do anything for me. See, the thing... I want a story. Draw me in. The thing about uh, Child's Play 3 that is is pretty scary is that uh, there was uh, murderers in, in England. Uh, there was James Bulger and Suzanne Capper who were killed. And the United Kingdom police suggested that Child's Play 3 was the reason. Hmm. You get a lot of that. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. And this couple watched it on acid and then went on a killing spree. So you take a movie that was written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Oliver Stone. You know, that's a great team up. And then it's a, it's a movie that definitely wouldn't get made today where serial killers are the, you know, the protagonists and the antagonists are the cops. Well, maybe. I mean, we have, you know, the ID channel. We have all these, you know, law and order, criminal intent there's a lot where does anybody even watch that shit i watch criminal intent i love that show i watch the same three episodes over and over and over again (laughs) i just i don't know there's something i when i was a kid there was a show on hbo it was called like um voices of the dead and it was a guy who was a criminal pathologist forensics coroner that would do these autopsies and uh you know he would get to the bottom of the murders and there was one episode that was all about um parents who killed their children Mm -hmm. and that has stuck with me my entire life yeah uh just (laughs) like human beings are fucking scary because they can go one way or the other Look at Ted Bundy. Everybody said he was a charming, handsome man. I think he was ugly as fuck. He's smart, but... Well, in order to be a successful serial killer, you better be charming somebody, or you don't kill somebody one good good time. Like the uh, BTK killer. You're talking about 
you know, prolific serial killer, uh, he didn't kill that many people, like, at all. And he it was how he did it. Writing letters to the police department and stuff, but I'm not saying it wasn't terrible and tragic. It was, but it wasn't that many people. And people tend to think serial killer, like, hundreds, hundreds of people, bodies strewn all about the lands. Oh, that Green River killer? That guy, the truck driver? Oh, yeah, he's he was from up here, Genesee River, yeah. Yeah, I remember that was in the news. Yeah. Um, do you have, like, a lot of people who are into horror um, are usually read a lot of books about serial killers and true crimes. Is, do you have, like, a serial killer that kind of stands out for you? That, you know, like, I, I, I would like to say your favorite serial killer, but that seems kind of dark. Well, one that has always stood out to me, well, it always bothered me, was Eileen Warnos. Yeah, I, that I, woman, I, that so poor woman. Yes, yeah, she killed a bunch of dudes. But her, they fucking deserved it. I'm just saying her life was tragic and that didn't account for anything. Like nothing at all. And I just think it's just very weird how there are people that just destroy everything. And they, we can't keep, seem to keep them in jail for any for anything. But she... I think she killed what nine got nine nine men, something like that. And boy, they treated her like they couldn't wait to execute her, and I just I've always felt a lot of sympathy with her. I just always have. I know all serial killers have something. There's something. Well, maybe not. There are plenty that had normal up, upbringings, childhoods, all that kind of stuff. And they start killing. But she wasn't one of those. It was a tragedy. And she she was it was she was clearly a tragic human being from the day she was born. And yet they didn't take that into account for anything. I'm not saying let her continue to walk the street killing dudes. I think she should have gotten put into an, an insane asylum and she should have stayed there. You know, I, I mean, when you put her to death, but you don't put to death some of the other fuckers, it's... Oh, yeah. You know, we were talking about Chucky, and I was I was reminded of a Brazilian serial killer who was a dwarf, nicknamed Chucky. Mm-hmm. He was a dwarf man convicted of 20, I think it was 20 murders, right. um, robbery, drug trafficking, and he was part of a death squad. But my favorite, I'd have to say the one serial killer that uh, I kind of see as a as a hero. I can't remember his name, but he's from Brazil as well. Uh, he had a really fucked up life like Eileen Wernos. His mother was killed before his eyes. So when he got of age, he started killing drug dealers because she was a drug addict. She was killed by her pimp, I think. He was killing drug addict, drug dealers, not addicts. He killed drug dealers. He would kill other killers when he went to prison. He killed corrupt cops. I mean, like I saw a documentary on that guy. I can't remember his name either. Yeah, and then when he went to prison, he just 
started killing more and more people yeah. if they were there for um, sex crimes or murder or they were drug dealers he would just start killing them he has like a private wing you know I mean the cops eventually were like this guy he's doing our job in like a punisher type of way but I mean he's not doing anything he never hurt anybody that was quote innocent right Oh, his name was um, uh, the Padrino Matador, I think. Yes, Pedro Rodriguez Filho. Yeah, yeah Killer Petey, the Brazilian Dexter. He only killed other killers. Yeah. He's 66 now. Span of crimes was 1967 to 2003. Apprehended in 1991. That is a long spree. From north to south Brazil. Brazil is big as hell. That's wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that dude, his story, if they would have, they would make that into a movie, man, it would just be like Dexter. Yeah. Somebody might make it. I can see an American making it. I can see us being very disappointed in it and then somebody else will make Another one, and then we'll like that one. Well, they did that with the Che movies. Yeah. Che Guevara. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's the... The two that were done by, I think it was Steven Soderbergh. 